<laughs> hey guys. Hey. Welcome to the 13th floor. I am Cece. I'm Alex. I'm James. And this is this is Archer. He's currently trying to poop. He's he's trying to he's trying to go. <laughs> we don't we don't know when it'll actually be done, so we're like, well, we just have to record. Yeah, we gotta record. Yeah. Listen, it has been four months. I think yeah. that our lovely listeners are tired of waiting. Yes, they are. So you got we're so happy to be back. James, how have you been? Been good. How about you guys? We've been good. Just just some you know, some updates for things that happened. We had baby Archer. That's his name, by the way. We named him Archer. So he says, hello, nice to meet you. Um, but probably more importantly, you guys, James had COVID. I did. Yeah. James, how'd you do with the COVID? Uh, I mean, oh, it was not dude. fun, but, you know, I'd rather have that for three weeks than the flu for one week, personally. Was it like the flu? Like, what were your symptoms? Because I know it, it, was, it differs. It was, it was like a cold, except I had muscle aches, like a flu. And uh, the weird thing, of course, was just things that had aromas didn't have aromas. It was very odd. Honestly, so you, you did, did lose your sense of taste and smell. I, yeah, I ended up losing my sense of taste and smell. Not for super long. Like two weeks later, they were all back in full swing. But yeah, there was there was a weird window where it was just kind of like, I know this has an aroma. Like this is, I just cooked salmon, but I don't know <laughs> that I just cooked salmon. You know, I didn't get any illnesses. No. Time. Yeah, Alex. Alex was just like it was just his normal life. Yeah. Mm. Well, yeah. I tell you what knocked me on my butt. Strep. Strep was awful. Yeah. But I didn't get strep while we were gone. No. No. While we were gone, he just uh, farted around town. Yeah, farted around town. I took care of the baby. Um. Here, Alex. We hold him for one second. Yeah. I'm gonna get my notes. He, he's like red in the face. He looks like a cherry. So he looks. Hmm? Like- Goodness. He's excited to be recording. He's going to sit up. He's going to watch with me. Hopefully, this brings him some relief as he gets to watch the little squiggle bars of our, of our voices. You might hear us fading in and out on the audio a little bit more this time around. It's probably because we're like glancing at him as he poops or makes mm. faces or something. So He loves sitting up, though. Oh, my gosh. Okay. He just dropped his pacifier. He just likes to cause chaos. He does. That's, that's what he's here for, but... <laughs> You know what isn't causing chaos these days? Our hearty hellos. <laughs> Our hearty hellos. We haven't done those in a very long time, but yeah. I'm excited for them. Uh, and I want to give shout outs to four countries that stuck with us through our hiatus, like the entire time. Are there only four that did? Or? No, we had a lot more. We had a lot more, but these are the four that downloaded the most episodes while we were gone. And that was Ooh. the USA. In state-wise, we're talking about New York. So, Big Apple, huge shout-out to you. And then we also had lots of downloads in Canada, the United Kingdom, and Spain? What? Yeah, Spain usually isn't a huge... uh, They don't have too many downloads, but during hiatus, Spain, you were there, and we thank you for it. So We should have a contest, like whoever... In the next two months, listens the most. Whatever country outside of the U.S., I visit that country. Oh, wow. Oh, yeah, because yeah, James wants to go international. James wants to go to Spain, so keep it up, Spain. <laughs> yeah, keep it up, Spain. 
Um, another small change from before we went on hiatus, you guys. The vase is currently is still on temporary leave. The vase is still on maternity leave. So for our first three episodes back that we're going to be doing, we're going to be doing James, Cece, and Alex topics of choice. So we each pick something that's near and dear to our heart. Kind of a fun change of pace, really. You know, this yeah. is like the first time we've ever picked episodes. Yeah. So it's uh, we're we're excited to kind of delve into something that interests each of us. Like you know, woo, we like everything that you guys suggest, but this time we kind of went with where our hearts were going. And then after these three episodes, if you are a patron, congratulations! We are going to be doing patron picks. For each one of our patrons gets to pick what they want us to talk about. And I've gotten a number of topics that are already on the docket for all of the patrons who have gotten back to me. If you are a patron who have not submitted your topic to me, please send it to me and I will get your episode down on the list. So we've got some more amazing topics that are coming. And if you become a patron before, I don't even know what date, before the middle of September, then you can select your own topic too. Cool. Here, James, we're going to pause it for one. I'm going to go on mute for one second. Okay. One second. Now that they're gone, this is the segment where I give you all subliminal messages. I can't think of any subliminal messages. So I guess it's not. All right. So CC stepped away for a second. I made a comment about how... I made a comment about how awful her breath actually was, and so she's gone to brush her teeth. <laughs> wow. I told her, I was like, I said, Cece, your breath is actually terrible. Wow. And I don't know what she had. Oh, she had that Greek food, but Greek food doesn't normally make your your breath away. I mean, that, that tzatziki stuff, I can kind of see it. That's what it may have been. It may have been the yeah. tzatziki, but I don't know. Archer and me, we both agreed it just smelled like straight chemicals for whatever reason, so. You know, it's saying something since he's like pooping right now. <laughs> yeah, well, maybe maybe he was trying to tell her like, "Hey, yeah. your breast feels mm-hmm. like you know what I'm doing right now." Maybe. That's, I mean, he's been quiet ever since I took care of him. Yeah, <laughs> maybe he was so. trying to get away. <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh man! Snap. Oh, yeah. she's back! Oh, I'm back. It's an improvement. Is that better? It's an improvement. Don't, why are you so rude to me in front of all of our mm. listeners? It's just a strange smell. I don't. I can't smell anything. And so for it to be penetrating my nostrils is really safe. I had <laughs> shawarma for dinner. Anyways, listen, listen. <laughs> we're we're going to lose our entire Greek audience. Yeah, there's no, no, <laughs> no, no need to worry about going on vacation there. <laughs> yeah. uh. Anyway, speaking of Patreon... Uh, we've got, we're going to be resuming our Patreon episodes here very shortly. And our first one will be a James explains it all. So James, I know you're really excited because you love those, those episodes. Are you excited to record that? I am. First time hearing about it, but yeah. (laughs) James is really excited. Um, but you know what? Just like James explains it all. And just like what happened just now, we'll spring a topic on him and he's got to explain it off the top of his head. Yep. And yeah. if he doesn't know it, well, too bad. I guess that was a short episode. No, <laughs> just kidding. We'll James figure something out. Always knows it. Like that's Thank the you. thing. I can think. Oh, I'm gonna stump James with this question, and then it never happens. It's true. Which is always exciting. So, anyways, yeah. you guys, I think it's time for our icebreaker. Are you ready for our icebreaker? Yeah. 
Right. Okay. Well, first, let me intro our topic today because this is a CC's topic of choice episode. Hi, guys. Hello. Um, and I have been very interested lately in all things underground. So anything that's happening below our feet, underneath the soil, you know, downstairs, that stuff is what interests me. So for our icebreaker this week, I wanted to ask, have you ever dug up something interesting? Uh, I have. Oh, James. See, you can't stump James. James, what did you dig up? Um, I've dug up fossilized plants, arrowheads, and a flint napping stone. Really? Yeah. That's pretty cool. I would love to find a fossilized plant. Mm. That'll make me happy. Alex, have you ever <laughs> dug up anything? I dug up a Lego in the backyard. A Lego in the backyard? <laughs> yep. Yeah, it, it was in this yard. I wondered. Mm. Artifact from 1993. Small child put this here. <laughs> what could this have been a set of? Was it? Maybe Star Wars Episode One. It belongs in a museum. Maybe it belonged in a museum. Maybe it was a one of a kind piece. I don't know. I threw it away because <laughs> I didn't want Louise to like chew on it and eat it, <clears throat> or Gwen to find it and chew on it and eat it. But honestly, I don't really have anything interesting I've ever dug up. I'm not some weirdo digging in the dirt. But I know that your parents have found like remote controls and stuff in your backyard. Yeah, but that's my dog taking something off the porch and burying <laughs> it. Yeah, but that's still funny. Okay, well, I've, I found one of those. Okay, you found a remote control. Yeah, it's pretty funny. My answer, and I, like, when I was younger, all I wanted to do was just try and dig holes, which is why why this episode interests me. Mm. But I would want to dig holes because I'd want to see, is there a dinosaur underneath the ground in my backyard? That'd be cool. So I would go and I would try to dig. I could never get very far because I'm a weakling. So I'd dig, like, a, a foot down and be like, okay, I'm done. There's no dinosaur here. But I did find a lot of really old McDonald's toys in our backyard once. And I was like, where did these come from? They, they were like these almost like rubber hamburglar things. And I was like, this is really bizarre. And then also somebody told me when I was little that the person that lived in my house before us was this old woman with one arm. And she had a treasure that she buried somewhere around the property. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Supposed to be gold coins somewhere. And so I wanted to find those too, and I I never did. I thought they were underneath an old tree stump in our front yard, but guys, they weren't there. I feel like I found an arrowhead at one point. Oh, that's good. Yeah, but I don't know if that's real or not. I feel like it happened to me. It was probably on the Holes movie or something. I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) Well, you know what? I think it's time. I think it's time for us to hop into our, our individual topics. Who wants to go first? Um, I'll go first. Oh, surprise, surprise. I got, hey, no one called it. I gave you all like a solid few seconds of silence shocked, there. Yeah. And everybody was a little chicken about it. So clearly no one has any confidence in theirs like I do mine. No, I think that for me, it was just like, I know that you're going to throw a fit if you don't go first because. it's <laughs> not true. I'm holding Anyways. this. So I'm wondering if this smell that I thought was your breath is actually this baby's diaper. Um, here, will you take the baby for a moment while I, I present? Like he was yeah. falling asleep. No, it's, I had him. I had him drifting. It's off. definitely our toilet stinks. Okay, yeah, it was, it was kind of like making me feel a little sick. Um, all right. So, I decided for my underground topic that I was going to cover the Chicago Pile One. What is the Pile mm. One? Yeah, I figured you had said that, <laughs> or you would say that. Well, you know, 
I doubt many people have heard of the Chicago Wild One. Eric, or I almost called you Eric. James, have you heard of it? Nope. Really? Really. This is exciting. Okay. <laughs> that means literally no listeners ever heard of it. It's exciting. Um, so, and I got a shout out Atlas Obscura for their article highlighting this topic. Thank you very much. So, the year is 1942. And it's actually probably a little bit earlier than this because he's developing it. But Enrico Fermi. And oh. Fermi! Yep. This, he was the predecessor and the creator of the Fermi. Just kidding. And he's an Italian physicist headlining a lot, a lot of the nuclear projects at the time. And he's looking to assemble a small nuclear reactor. Now, a little about Fermi. He was very much opposed to the idea of using nuclear energy as a weapon. But he thought nuclear power was so important, it was probably worth the risk. So what he decided to do was that, well, he decided that he needed two things. A good location and a lot of labor. Now, building a reactor is no small feat, even if it is a small reactor. So... In order to mitigate risks, however, he wanted to build the reactor underground. So he secured himself an underground squash court. A squash court. That's right. Mm. There's a little wow. underground spot squash court to build his reactor. Now, I'm sure some people are thinking, like you, like squash court. I doubt many squash courts were out in the boonies, especially underground ones. And you, mm. dear listener, and CC would be correct. Mm. Fermi secured a squash court that had been built underneath a football field at the University of Chicago. And what year was this? 19... Well, he's probably building it about 1941, 1940. Oh, man. Yeah. So, they're building this thing. Yes. The reactor was built under a university, and not just that, but the first reactor to ever go critical would be built under a campus. (laughs) Now, critical, I thought... Whenever I hear critical, I think, ooh, meltdown. Meltdown. Yeah. Scary. But it turns out going critical, just that is the moment that a nuclear reaction reaches a point where it starts emitting usable energy, mm. which applies to both weapons and resources. Now, to assemble this iconic achievement, I mentioned that Fermi needed labor. Now, most reasonable people would probably assume that this means they built the reactor on campus so that they would have a large pool of people uh, qualified people to pick from in the city to build this. You know, professionals. Again, those of you with reason would be wrong. <laughs> nope. <laughs> the University of Chicago had just disassembled its football program in 1939, and so they had they still had football players on campus that had nothing else to do. So why not have them assemble this reactor? <laughs> So it was made by football players? Football players assembled the reactor. Well, hello. <laughs> yeah. So uh, they put this reactor together, and uh, it's, it's getting assembled. And I guess they also put together, you know, it, with in tandem with some engineers, the smokestack. Now, most times when you see a nuclear reactor, they got these big, giant smokestacks emitting lots of smoke and all that. Well... This is kind of this is a covert operation. So, what is a smokestack looks like a bunch of black bricks just piled on top of each other. Um, what's kind of cool about it is that it is more complicated that than that. 
It's a stack of graphite blocks that are interlaced with these cubes of uranium. And they have these control rods made of cadmium that are inserted. I said that weird. (laughs) I said that weird. Inserted to absorb any radiation that went astray. Yeah. Now, the cadmium wouldn't quite be able to prevent any sort of disaster or anything like that. But the reactor underneath, although small in scale, it did have the potential that if something went wrong, it would blanket the entire surrounding area. So all of campus and then some if something went wrong here. Very dangerous. Now, he was very confident. Yes, he was very confident. Yeah, there are many notations that I saw that he had no doubt that he would be fine doing this, which <laughs> wow. is amazing. Yeah, he had zero doubt that anything was going to go wrong. Now, you're probably wondering, like, you put this thing under a campus, you have football players assemble it. Did everyone know that this was happening? It kind of seems weird that people would be okay with this. And and yeah, in the 40s, things were pretty lax in terms of safety. But the answer is no. It was so secret (laughs) that the Chicago mayor didn't even know about it. Despite football players being the ones to help assemble it, which is uh, crazy. So yeah, this was actually a top secret thing that was happening and they deemed that the government the government deemed that the mayor did not need to need no. to know because it would cause unwarranted uh panic panic Chaos. yes <laughs> but don't worry guys yeah they had a bucket with a chemical agent sitting right beside it in case anything went wrong they were going to dump it on it and it was supposed to cancel out any reaction that was happening so they just had a bucket with this stuff sitting next That's to it. That's bananas. No OSHA <laughs> back then, I guess. No, no, mm. no OSHA. Um, and so the interesting thing is that they ran the machine one time. I mean, they ran parts of it uh, to test, but they only ran the complete machine at one t- one time, and they wore zero hazmat equipment. <laughs> and they had this thing open. And they even moved the control rods inside the machine by hand to monitor how the reaction was going. And it was an unmitigated success. And uh, so Fermi was thrilled. His confidence, he was, you know, rewarded for his confidence by not murdering tons and tons of people with cancer. And the man that oversaw the project, he sent word to the National Defensive Research Committee, and he used the spy code. Um, and this was between a man named Compton, who is the guy that oversaw the project with Fermi. I mean, he didn't really do anything. He just kind of made sure everything went smoothly. And then, so his name is Compton. He says, Jim, you'll be interested to know the Italian navigator has just landed in the new world. The earth is not as large as he had estimated. He arrived at the new world sooner than he expected. I guess y'all could figure out what that means. Yeah. And then he, that guy responded. He said, is that so? Were the natives friendly? And he said, everyone landed safe and happy. That was the correspondence between them. And after this project, the Chicago Pile 1 was dismantled. And parts of it were used for Chicago Pile 1 2. And all of their learnings were used in reactors still made today. And to celebrate this achievement... All the scientists split a bottle of Chianti, Chianti. and 
Mar- and then they all signed on the bottle, which you can find mm-hmm. in a museum in Argonne, Illinois. Neat. Wow. Cool. It all happened right underneath the city of Chicago. You, dear Bye. listener, look up how many nuclear reactors are underneath campuses even today. It is crazy. Uh, you know, the thing that <laughs> is crazy about that is that if something had gone wrong and something had happened to Chicago. They would not have told anybody. I wouldn't probably be here right now because no, my entire right. family is from Chicago. That's probably true. Yeah, isn't that crazy? Yeah, yeah. And, and they also, they honestly, they probably just wouldn't have told anybody. No, oh, no, they wouldn't They'd have. They were like, oh, crap. We don't <laughs> yeah. know what's happening. Because, I mean, no one would know because anything, the meltdown would have just emitted radiation. Mm-hmm. It wouldn't have been like a nuclear explosion or anything like that. Yeah. Well, lots of things that happen underground are done in secrecy. Yeah. Like mine. Ooh, oh, nice transition there. Nice <laughs> transition. Here, I'm going to have you hold the baby. He's asleep now. Don't you dare wake him up. Weep. Transitioned. All right, you guys. Chicken heads. Today. I'm talking about something that is called hobby tunneling. Oh. Yes. Boomhauer did this in King of the Hill. Okay. <laughs> did he really? <laughs> or no, yeah. Dale did. Dale did. Uh, Sorry, not Boomhauer. Right. Well, <laughs> yeah, if you've never heard of it, if you don't watch King of the Hill, dear listener, <laughs> people get addicted to digging tunnels. That's basically what it is, a hobby tunneling. And people literally just take shovels, and then they dig, and they dig, and they dig, which is, again, incredibly impressive to me because when I tried to do it, like, I get a foot down, and then I'm like, I'm done. I'm so tired. I need water. How often and are you doing this? I, but it was when I was little. Oh, okay. Yeah, every kid does this, I guess. Yeah, everybody. I feel like most kids are like, I'm going to dig down to China. You know what I mean? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I was legit scared, too. You were scared, too? Did you think that you would fall right through the earth? I assumed that at some point I would dig to hell and demons would climb out. James, that your I'm sorry, your childhood mind was scary. Uh, yes. That's not an exaggeration either. <laughs> mm, well, anyways, let's talk about hobby tunneling, okay, you guys? People have obviously been digging tunnels for centuries. Like in ancient times, people did it to store food, you know, have shelter in case there's a storm, whatnot. But I learned... Uh, about hobby tunneling after hearing a story about a man named William, and I don't know if it's pronounced Little or Lytle. It's L-Y-T-T-L-E. He's from England. Something's never changed, Lister. <laughs> no. He was he was a civil engineer. Have you guys ever heard of him before? No. No. Okay, well, in the night... 19- a little bit. <laughs> You're so funny. Well, in the 1960s, he, he's been nicknamed the Mole Man, Okay. He thought to himself one day, you know what? I really want a wine cellar. And instead of hiring someone to make one for him, he decided he was just going to DIY it. And so he started digging. And then he kept digging and digging and digging and digging. And then 40 years passed. According to, I found a wonderful article on this on messinesschick.com, which had a, a blog post. It said that his tunnels spiraled out from underneath his home like a spider web. And they were eight meters deep and 20 meters long, which is 24 feet deep and 60 feet long. If you're, if you do the feet versus meters. And he became so obsessed with tunneling that he started to neglect his house and it started to look like crap. And like he was even, because, okay, this is the one thing that I always think when I think about hobby tunneling. Where are these people putting the dirt, right? Right. 
he put it in his garden and then he also filled up rooms in his house. So <laughs> live by the dirt, down by the dirt. Yeah, wow. his his house started to become very neglected. His neighbors were like, "Listen, this guy's house looks like sh. You know what? Local government, please come here and write him up. Make him stop. Make him clean his house." And so the HOA or the local government came by and they were like, "Yeah, this is this is very messy." And then they like took a closer look at it and they realized. Oh, there are little sinkholes that are opening up all around the place. <laughs> and they were like, you know, this is kind of dangerous what this man is doing. So they had to fill it in. And so they filled in his tunnels, probably much to his dismay. Can you imagine digging for 40 years and the government comes in and is like, we're going to fill it all in? Yeah. He's probably upset. But they also charged him a very hefty sum of money because... It, it was a lot of work to fix, you know. Yeah, you could say he dug himself into a hole. He dug himself into a hole, both <laughs> literally and figuratively. And then when they asked him why he dug the tunnels in the first place, his answer was, quote, I just found a taste for the thing. <laughs> so he, he said he wanted a big basement. And he also said, quote, there is great beauty in inventing things that serve no purpose. Ooh, I like that. That's deep. Did like he a, really invent like digging a hole, a hole though? Like a hole. Well, no, just d- digging a spider web of holes underneath your house. Can you imagine, like, what if we looked underneath our house someday? Because our house is on a slab, and we found a hole that just went, mm. kept going and going and going. What we'd would you do? I'd mess with our slab. We'd have to pay to get it fixed. I know. We'd have to fill it in. I would love to dig a hole, not for the sake of it, but just because if somebody caught me doing it because of my beard and short stature, they would just assume dwarves were real. <laughs> Either that or hobbits, James. Yeah. Yeah, James could be a real life hobbit. I would love a little hobbit hole, though. A little hobbit yeah, hole too. house. Oh, oh, they're so pretty. It's a dream, yeah. But another fun thing that kind of started out as hobby tunneling in a way was the New York City subway system. Did you guys know this? No. It's, and this is a very. I knew it was underground. <laughs> this is a very complicated story. There's a lot more to it than this, but. Uh, there was an engineer named Alfred Eli Beach, and in the nineteen or no, it was the eighteen sixties, he was like, you know what, New York City, it's disgusting. So there are too many carriages. There's horse poop everywhere. So he's just walking around town, stepping in horse poop, and he's just tired of it. So he's like, I don't want to step in doo doo anymore. I want less, you know, people on the roads and all that stuff. And he saw in England they were experimenting with the subway, and he decided he wanted to make one too, a pneumatic one. So he went to the New York City government and asked them for a permit, but they said no. They're like, it's going to be way too much money to build something like that. Heck no. They called him old coop. They sent him on his way. And Beach was like, I'm not taking no for an answer. So he got a permit for a smaller digging project for postal tubes. So you know, like the tubes that Mm, send like your – when you go to the bank and you have to send your money deposit slip to that little tube. Mm. Yeah, he basically – I don't know if he invented those, but he had a hand in inventing those. They're still used today, obviously. But anyways, Beach, he he had this little permit for that. And he was like, you know, I'll ask for forgiveness if I get caught. Which, you know. Why not? Yeah, why not? So he hired this crew and he was like, you all have to be really secret about this. We can't let anybody know what we're doing. So he rented a basement room in this big building. And they just started digging. And he and his crew, they had to be very careful. They had to be quiet, make sure that no one knew what they were doing. His workers were supposedly really scared of what they were doing because all of this was taking place right underneath Broadway in New York City. (laughs) 
So they're like working and they're digging this tunnel underground. They can hear people walking like upstairs and hear the, the horses on the road and stuff, which I can only imagine would be terrifying if you're in this little tiny tunnel that's underneath this road. But he had created some type of shield, a digging shield or something that was supposed to keep where they were digging from collapsing. But it was a one piece of wood just wedged in there. Apparently, apparently the shield is in a museum somewhere. I don't know what museum, but it's somewhere. But all of his workers were also very claustrophobic because you're in this tiny little hole, which your dad would probably freak out, Alex, because Alex's dad is terrified of tight spaces. But Beach and his crew, they ended up building a super snazzy underground subway tunnel at the end of this. And it was kind of like a sample. And, and Beach, he just wanted to be sure that people were super impressed so he, it was like a subway tunnel like we see today, except it was just tiny and just basically the, the car went one stop and then came back. So it didn't even take you anywhere. But he wanted to make sure people were impressed with it. So he decorated the tunnel and it looked amazing. There's a grand piano and it also apparently had a goldfish pond. So people love it. There is no worse fate that I can think of than being an underground goldfish. <laughs> you know what I mean? What, it'd be bad enough to just be a goldfish. That's true. Bless their little hearts. I didn't even think of that. Don't worry. Don't, for, don't forget about their misery every few seconds. Mm. <laughs> to relive it. <laughs> I, I hope that they were taken out. Eventually, it did It did close down. Beach wanted to. Ex- well, they were taken out, all right. <laughs> Beach wanted to expand his little tunnel because he thought it would resolve New York City's transit issues. But there was this one government official. I can't remember his name, but he had beef with him. And they were like, no, you can't build your subway tunnels. This is, you know, insane. You're going to cause havoc underneath and the whole city's going to collapse if you try to do this. And so they were more in favor of above ground rail railway, Mm. which is what they did at first. Mm. But um, but yeah. They, they made Beach close down his little tunnel, even though he did give like 41,000 people rides on this thing to go up the road and back. Supposedly a really fun little pneumatic railroad car. Was his name John Riptide? Because he pooped on Beach's party. <laughs> oh, my, Alex. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> that is the worst joke ever. That was an awful joke. That's a good one. Keep it in. Okay. It well, deserves it. Well, <laughs> the, the government ended up closing up the... Beach's Tunnel, they sealed it up, and it was forgotten about for years until 1912. And that's when New York City apparently started really, like, building what we know today as the New York City subway system. And they were just digging, and then they break down a wall, and there's Beach's Tunnel. And the Grand Piano was still there. And there were the fish. I hope the fish weren't there. Gosh. Eating, preying on each other. Oh, my gosh. For generations. But yeah, isn't that interesting as to Very. part of the subway system? Yeah, that is cool. There's if you there are people in New York City that will go and just explore the subway system, and th- there are tons of places in that subway system that have been like sealed off, but people still mm-hmm. go there. That'd be cool. I'd be scared to do it. Get hit by a train. That'd be awful. Well, you don't have to stand on the tracks and just wait for it. <laughs> well, sometimes you have to duck into because sometimes the only places you can get to, you have to walk on the tracks. Yeah, but you just... Okay, yeah. Anyways, okay, hobby tunneling. So their their entire Reddit thread's dedicated to this specific topic because it's not uncommon. And there have been other notable stories about really famous people who have been hobby 
tunnelers that just, they do it because it helps them clear their mind. It's like, you know, it just gets them into this Zen place where they can just concentrate on what they're doing and think. And then they come up with these amazing ideas. Apparently the inventor Mm. of the supercomputer was a hobby teller. Yeah. And it makes me wonder how many people do we have in our lives that are hobby tellers that we don't know about? (laughs) Close to zero. You don't know that. I don't, but it's probably close. (laughs) Well, anyways, I think it's very interesting. People obviously do it in secrecy and this is a kind of a dark thought, but how many people have tried digging tunnels that collapsed on them? Cause you know, you've got to be very diligent with what you're doing and careful because mm. the ground can collapse. So I wonder how many people yeah. have done this and then they just disappeared and it's because they, their tunnel collapsed on them. Well, another thing people don't think about um, is even the air, you know, the atmospheric pressure when, when on the surface of the earth, it's, it's what it is. It's what we evolved to be around. But the deeper you go, that air starts getting heavier and heavier. And it's entirely possible. People who worked on the Brooklyn Bridge, if I remember right, they would get the bins. Like they would actually die and nobody knew what was going on. And it was because they were going so far down, not underwater, just so far down that the the gases in their lungs were diffusing into their blood. And they were they were dying for the same reason why people who dive really, really deep can die. Hmm. Is that horrifying? Yes, very. Yes, very. Per James. All right, James, that's hobby tunneling. What are you talking about? All right. Well, let me start with a little appetizer. Just because I wanted to touch up on something that we've talked about before. Um, and I'm just going to start by mentioning that everybody remembers this from probably like the second grade. But the planet is comprised of the crust. And we live on top of the crust. And then underneath there is the mantle and then the outer core, and then the inner core. And I remember being so shocked as a child to see that because the crust is like 60 miles deep, mm-hmm. but not hardly uh, anything compared to the mantle and the core. You know, it was it was so thin. And it's like all of humanity lives on this thin strip on the outside. It was just so surprising. Well, we know that the mantle comprises like 82% of the volume of the earth and it's mostly made up of heavy metals that have got so much pressure pushing against them that they're almost plastic in uh, in consistency. They're they're at a point where they should be melting, but the pressure of the Earth itself keeps it kind of solid. And I've touched up on this in the past, but this is a little more in depth. You know, in 2014 in Brazil, they found a brown diamond beneath the crust, 400 miles beneath the crust. Huh. Um, And they were like, that's weird. That shouldn't be there. That kind of stuff doesn't usually form in this kind of area. Well, inside the diamond was something even more shocking. Ringwoodite, which is made by olivine, which also isn't very common in the crust because, again, or the crust, the mantle, because, again, it's made from mostly heavy metals. Well, inside that olivine, a.k.a. ringwoodite, was a lot of water. Not like like a crazy ton because we're talking about a couple of millimeters of material and it was like one and a half percent water, Hmm. but that didn't make sense given where it was. There shouldn't have been any water. And so through using that analysis, scientists came up with a theory that the transition zone between the inner and outer portions of the mantle is comprised of water. 
And that's where we get that theory that there is in fact a sixth ocean and that it is huh. bigger than every other ocean. And that that's it is cool. so far underground that whatever is down there, if there's any life at all, it is so far removed from anything on the surface that it would make the deep sea life that we see that is utterly alien and hardly explored look mundane by comparison. With that little appetizer, I'm going to talk about the Vril. So there was a novel published by Edward Bulwer Lytton in 1871. He actually published it anonymously. anonymously. And uh, <laughs> he called it Vril, the coming of the, or the power of the coming race. And you might be wondering, why did I say that old German when he was English? Well, more on that in a minute. Um, so <laughs> <laughs> he wrote this uh, fictional story where the narrator is this uh, young, wealthy traveler who visits his friend who's a mining engineer, and they explore a chasm in a mine that's been exposed. And so they're like, oh, this is so cool. Let's check out this chasm. I feel like the kid who did read the book and like they're doing the book report based on the back of it. But uh, <laughs> what ends up happening is the rope breaks. There's a cave in and his friend is killed. Aww. So he has to struggle through this collapsed passage and he ends up meeting these individuals who resemble angels and they guide him around this city that has ancient Egyptian style architecture. And they turns out knew how to speak English because, uh, of a makeshift dictionary that he unconsciously taught them because spoiler alert, they're telepathic. So <clears throat> they call themselves Vrilia and they're, they're just better than people in every sense of the word. They can talk to one another. They can get rid of pain telepathically. They can put other people to sleep. And he's a little offended, frankly, at how much better they are at figuring things out than he is being, you know, a wealthy, independent human being. <laughs> and, uh, but they're nice to him as far as that goes. And he finds out later that they are the descendants of a civilization pre-flood called the Anna, and that they lived underground of after being forced by the flood underground. Um, so that's kind of neat, right? Well, the Vril, being superior to human beings, uh, start to conclude that they're a little overcrowded. And when they realize that there's a whole big, beautiful world out there full of people, they realize that uh, since they're so superior, free real estate, they can just wipe all the human beings out and take over. Now, this is just a sci-fi novel that, you know, again, he published it anonymously because he's probably very self-conscious about it. Um, but it was very popular. Like, it, it got a big following. It was kind of like the Star Trek of the 19th century. Um, a lot of people were into it, influenced H.G. Wells, influenced a lot of other authors. And here's where it gets interesting. Um, a lot of people including the Theosophical Society, Blavatsky and Steiner, who we've talked about before, they, uh, they were like, yeah, this is probably real. So they actually wrote nonfiction accounts positing that the Vril were very real. Now, the reason why I did the little German voice earlier was because there was this one group of people, I can't think of what they were called, but they were like really into the Vril as, as being real. Um, oh, Nazis. They really, really, really <laughs> like this whole real concept and, and dark energy. And, and there, there was an entire esoteric branch of, of Nazism, which we've touched on in the past, that, that had some very out there beliefs, including Hollow Earth. I've mentioned before that Hitler used um, 
uh, hollow earth coordinates to direct certain missiles. And they usually didn't hit their mark because they were based on, on hollow earth. But the Vril Society, which Alex probably is getting recollections of from Hellboy, was not just fictional. They were a very real group. They were really genuinely interested in harnessing certain powers from an underground ancient race of people who were superior to human beings. And, and they became an inner circle of the Thule Society, which we've also touched on. And it was just an entire enormous part of this underground, <laughs> not, not literally underground, <laughs> but underground uh, movement of occultism that was very, very popular in the early 20th century. And there was actually a, an obscure group called the Reichsarbeitgemeinschaft. And uh, <laughs> that, not kidding, that was actually what they were called. And uh, they actually had a publication called Vril, the Cosmic Urkraft, which pretty much is the basis for a lot of UFO theories because we've talked about this before. The Nazis had UFOs. I have talked before about how the Nazis may have created craft very similar to what we call UFOs. People mistook them for UFOs, and then when they moved to underground Antarctic bases called New Swabia, that they've continued to use UFOs, and that maybe all these UFO sightings that we're seeing are not, in fact, from another world, but, in fact, from the Third Reich, and that they're still around, and they're still flying stuff around. And the reason why this is fascinating is how do they do that? What kind of energy source are they using? Couldn't be nuclear, couldn't be gasoline, couldn't be ethanol, couldn't be solar. And that's where you get this notion of real energy, some sort of energy that we never learned and that we were never able to expose, even with Operation Paperclip and importing all of these uh, Nazi scientists who pretty much spearheaded the entire U.S. space program. Really bizarre stuff. And how much of that is plausible and how much of that is bananas if you'd asked me in 2013, I would say it's all bananas. But again, in 2014, we found out that there is an entire flipping ocean. Well, theoretically, an entire flipping ocean, bigger than all the other world's oceans combined underneath the earth. We know so little about what's under our feet that the prospect that there could be an intelligent race of creatures underneath us, it's not unheard of and... And if that uh, technology could be reverse engineered, kind of like some people theorize Roswell technology reverse engineered for, for all the modern stuff we have, hey, maybe it's not alien tech. Maybe it's uh, subterranean tech. Mm. Do you think that that could be where Atlantis is? Uh, well, that, that's actually part of the, the fictional story is that the flood, the deluge, destroyed Atlantis and that the Atlanteans themselves became the real. Interesting. I feel like yeah. I read about that when I was doing my research on Blavatsky ages yeah, ago. Yeah, you want to piss off uh, German occultists uh, or cause a division among them, just just ask them who the Atlanteans were. And half of them would be like, well, the German people were Atlanteans. And the other half would be like, no, the real. And then they'd fight each other. Well, we don't want anybody fighting, so we won't yeah. ask that question, right, James? <laughs> yeah, I'll, <laughs> I'll keep that in mind. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, all right, guys. Well, James, the Vril, that's kind of creepy because if, uh, I mean, if they could come up, which 
if we have the technology and it was really from that, then mm. in theory they could come up. Where are they coming up from? That's the question. Mm. Yeah, they walk mm. among us. Oh, James, don't say <laughs> We're, uh, Alex and I just started the TV show Midnight Mass, ah. which, have you seen it yet? I have not. It looks good, though. Well, I went into it thinking it was just kind of like a quirky, odd. Quirky? Uh. Quirky. Quirky? Quirky, odd humor show and it's not that at all did you really think that yes that's what yeah, I, thought. I would not have guessed that yeah just from I don't, the, yeah i don't know by the way you guys want to be really scared of underground stuff look at a map of uh missing children and then look at a map of un, of subterranean cave systems in the u.s they overlap way too much Ooh, i don't like that at all now, did you think well, midnight mass was like a like a funny catholic show yeah <laughs> Interesting. <laughs> like Father Ted? <laughs> I did. I did. I, uh, I did. You, must, you must have been so disappointed when it opened the way it did. Yeah. Like the first three minutes. You're like, oh. I was not what I thought. really scared last night. Mm. But anyways, you know, enough about that. You guys watch Midnight Mass. It's very interesting so far. You've seen though, one episode. I know. And I'm going to watch it with my... Whenever I get scared watching movies, James, I just put my glasses lower on my face so that I can't see. Everything's blurry. And then when the scary thing happens, she goes, I don't like that. Yep. And then I say, what just happened? And then Alex goes, oh, why don't you just watch it? <laughs> so yeah, that's that's what that's what we're going to do after we're done recording here in a second. Hmm. But do you guys have anything else that you want to say about just all things underground? Yeah, careful where you dig. Dig a hole and let me know how it goes. Yeah, listeners, I want to know if you guys have ever dug a hole and found something really interesting. And if you haven't, team up, do it, and just let us know how it goes. Do it, send us yeah. a little video. Do, do a, a Zoom call with us, and we'll just walk through the, the tunnel with you. We love it. really want to know what you think. <laughs> <laughs> now that, Alex, no, was no. a good joke. I agree. So I think that it's not going to get any better than that. It's time for us to hit the road. We want to thank you guys so much for listening. We will be reprising the vase in the coming weeks after we are done with all of our Patreon episodes. So if you guys have any topics that you want to send in, please do so. We have cleared the vase out is currently empty. So send in all of your topics so that we will be able to talk about what you want us to talk about in the future. Yeah. Alex, who does our music? Our music is by Grant Cook. You can find us music on Spotify, iTunes, Amazon music, anywhere you listen to music. So until next week, you guys, we hope that you can keep it strange. There is no worse fate that I can think of than being an underground goldfish. Mm-hmm.